0: looking at our world from a theological perspective. This is the Theology Central podcast, making theology central.
1: Good evening everyone. It is Friday, June the 3rd, 2022. It is currently 7:30 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live once again from Abilene, Texas. And if you want specific information, I'm coming to you live Two stories above a street here in Abilene, Texas. Yes, the second story bedroom here in my home, which was for the entire school year, the homeschool classroom. But the homeschool classroom is slowly going to be transformed into the Theology Central Studios. I think that's what this is going to turn into, the Theology Central Studios. I I need new things to hang on the wall. I need... I need I need some decorations. I'm I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to come up with a way to to try to I think I think we could really work on this and turn it into something special. But it I, I do love the fact that I can just walk upstairs 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and just hit a button and I'm live on the air to talk about whatever. Now, sometimes I make that walk up the steps and I go live. And let's just be honest it it wasn't that great of a live broadcast, okay the the thir- the thirty life principles of Charles Stanley those uh, those live broadcasts have not been the best. I'm still struggling with them, but they're there. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna see that series to a conclusion. We are. I, I'm still convinced there's some things we can do to make that beneficial for everyone. So so sometimes I walk up here and I think I have a great idea and it doesn't work out. And really what we're doing right here, I, I don't know how great this has turned out. Because again, it's, it's something I think is important, but trying to pull it off. Yeah, the execution, but it really isn't my fault. In this particular case, this really isn't my fault. Maybe the fact that it didn't really go so well the first time is indicative of well the, the content that we are reviewing let me remind you what's going on if you're if you're listening let me tell you what you've missed if you if you missed the last live broadcast let me tell you what you missed because you missed a lot all right so if you go back to June the second at 605 p.m so a little more than 24 hours ago you probably started seeing news articles pop up all over the place about the fact that Rick Warren had basically announced when he's going to retire and who his successor is going to be. Rick Warren is going to retire in September, and his successor is Pastor Andy Wood of Echo Church in San Jose, California, all right? Now, you may say, I don't care about Rick Warren. I don't care about Saddleback Church. I don't care about his successor. I'm not a part of that world. I think it's all messed up. I I don't care. I can understand that. I am not a fan of Rick Warren or Saddleback Church or his theology. So in a sense, I could just ignore it. But here's what I've learned, and hopefully you've learned this as well. We can ignore something, but ignoring something doesn't stop its influence, right? So many times Christians will be like, I don't care about that. I don't care. And the next thing you know, that's the thing that's influencing all the Christianity around you. So we have to get... We have to all constantly be on the lookout for like, okay, that right there, we've got to pay attention to that because that's going to be an influence in the future. So I immediately, when I saw the story that, well, Andy Wood from Echo Church is going to be the successor, I'm like, I know what we need to do. We need to go grab some of his sermons and review them because he's about to become the pastor of one of the most influential churches in the country. So if you don't know who Andy Wood is now, you're probably going to know about him in the future if, if Saddleback remains one of the most influential churches. Now he could take over as pastor. The church could absolutely lose its influence and be kind of just kind of get thrown onto the heap of irrelevancy. It's very, it's very possible. But if he becomes a household name and the church maybe maintains its same, same level of influence or even grows, well, it, isn't it good to kind of know what that influence is going to look like? See, if we go back a little bit in the past and listen to some of Andy Wood's sermons, then we'll have an understanding of the transitional period that's happening now, and we'll have a good idea of what it's going to look like in the future. So we started listening to one of his sermons from a series. In fact, we listened to the. We started listening to the first sermon of his series called Squad Goals squad goals. And that's this idea that you see a person or a thing and you're like, oh, that's that's goals I have for my relationship. That's the goals I have for for my friendships or or my quote unquote squad. Now it's trying to use a, a very cool and relevant term, which sometimes shows up as a hashtag on social media. So once again, you can kind of see that Andy Wood wants to be one of those big evangelical mega churches that tries to be hip and tries to be cool and tries to be relevant. I'm assuming he's going to bring that right over into the life of Saddleback Church. But I I still wanted to know, how does he preach? How does he handle the word of God? What are we going to expect? And wow, this first sermon has proven to be, can we say, extremely frustrating, extremely irritating. And here's the reason why. The text for the sermon, the text for the sermon I'm going to grab my Bible right here, is Ephesians 4. And I don't even want to know if I can call this a text for the sermon. I don't know if I can even call this. I don't know if this sermon even has a text. To me, the text here is just for show. And I know that sounds mean, but that's what it it looks like. But he quoted Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11. And, And I quote Ephesians 4, 11. And he himself gave... Uh, some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Now, he, he's taken that, and he's really tried, every once in a while he would talk about the church. He doesn't really expound or exegete the text in any way, shape, or form. He does try to offer a little context that this is Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, writing to believers at Ephesus, and he tries to explain in his mind why he thinks, right, like, that we're, we're called into relationships because these relationships is how we grow, and you basically need relationships or you cannot grow, and... and it appears that he was saying you cannot grow spiritually. Now, he he then so so and sometimes they would kind of be looking at this like maybe how it would work in a church, but then he would go off to really more personal relationships, personal relationships, marriage, friends, and he kind of he didn't really do much with Ephesians, which was really frustrating. So we reviewed um up to 20-something minutes into the sermon. I've backed it up to the 18-minute. 18-minute and 8-second mark so that we can kind of pick up the context here. And uh, we're just going to try to finish this up. Um, So I think this is what we can say about his preaching. By no means is it exegetical. By no means is he expounding the text. It's not expository in any way, shape, or form. And again, expository doesn't mean you just have to go verse by verse through a book just when you pick ephesians four if you're you can even if you're just going to say here's the text i'm not we're not going to work through the entire book well at least expound that text, at least expound the text and well he did he he didn't he didn't do that in any way shape or form, so it was it was really it, i Yeah, I I guess that's what's going to happen at Saddleback. We'll have to wait and see, but we're going to try to finish this up, all right? Now, if you are listening to us on the Church One app, um, I just noticed our indicator went to red, then came right back to green. I don't know if we're having any um, internet issues. Hopefully we are not, but we are going to continue this and hopefully we don't lose all of our connection. Um, If for some reason you do lose uh, access to it, Please note this. It will be uploaded if everything works out and we don't lose internet. Um, it will uh, – I will upload it as soon as I can. The only reason I'm mentioning this right now, I don't know if you could hear about two minutes ago. Literally, I heard this loud explosion, almost like a transformer blew. I don't know what it was. It sounded like bad. So I thought we were going to lose power. Um but it appears that we still have internet. So I'm going to press on. And if everything gets ruined, everything gets ruined, but uh, we're going to press on. So hopefully, I don't know what happened outside. It sounded bad, but uh, I think we're good to go. So are you ready? Here we go. Andy Wood, Echo Church, San Jose, California. He's now, He will become the pastor of Saddleback Church in September of 2022. He will He will go from I'm going to say relatively unknown, I'd never even heard of the person, to now the pastor of one of the most influential churches in the country. So we're trying to figure out what that could possibly look like. And the way we can try to figure out what it's going to look like is we'll go listen to some of his sermons preached at Echo Church. And this is from a recent series. This is the first sermon in his series called Squad Goals. And uh, it's definitely not doctrinal, theological. It's not even... It's not even really textual. I mean, it sounds like he just wanted to talk about relationships and just needed a text to try to give it some kind of a scriptural feel, but it really is just his philosophy on, I guess, relationships, I I guess. I don't know. Maybe with, we'll just going to jump in and here we go.
0: But because growth was the goal, it changed the perspective on the relationship. Y'all see that? When growth is the goal, relationships are a gift from God. Every relationship in your life can be a relationship that God uses to grow you. And there are some people in your life that they don't feel like a gift. They feel like a curse. But when growth is the goal, every relationship in your life can become a gift from God.
1: All right. So, this is kind of a major premise he is putting forth. If you if your expectation in relationships is my expectation for this relationship is that I'm going to grow spiritually. If that's kind of your expectation and if your goal is growth, then every relationship, good or bad, will can meet that expectation and can meet that goal because it can help you grow, whether it's a good relationship or whether it's a bad relationship. Now, you may say, "Well, that's great relationship advice, it is. I'm still just a little perplexed in exactly how that fits in to Ephesians 4, but okay, but okay. It just, it's one of those things, it's like he he really, I mean, in some ways it would have just been better. You know what, guys? I'm just gonna share some thoughts about relationships and my philosophy, and I do believe it's spiritual, but I'm not just going to artificially try to grab a text of scripture and try to connect it to it when it doesn't really connect. It just sometimes I think the church is like, hey, you, you've got to give a scripture because it's a sermon, but if you're really not going to preach the text, then just preach your philosophy. I mean, why, why pretend? But okay, um, it is an interesting concept that, hey, uh, all relationships can be used by God to help you grow. I, I, think, I think we can see that, right? I mean, I think if you think about it, everything, every relationship, every circumstance, whether good or bad, everything... Can be used to help us grow spiritually a lot depending on how we respond to it i think i think I think that that's a, a a a concept I think I would instead of going with ephesians four couldn't you go more with the idea that God works all things according to his purpose and his will right couldn't you kind of go with the idea that God is sovereign and according to his sovereign and divine purpose? That he purpose and and works all things according to his will, so that even the good and bad in our life can be used by God for his glory, and and it's more about his glory, right? Is it is it about is every relationship a chance for God to be glorified, or is it a chance for us to grow? I, I mean, there's a lot of different ways we could t- discuss this and have very deep theological discussions, but he 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 has a very singular focus. He's already got his topic, and he doesn't seem to be worried about letting any, (laughs) I I, I don't know. It's just really weird because it's just so loosely handling the text. But maybe in these last part of the sermon, he's going to just blow us away with his exposition, and he's going to really go in. I, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see.
0: So there are different types of relationships that God will put us in. God will put us in some relationships where people will make a deposit into our lives. So there are three types of relationships that God will use to help us grow. One is the, the people who make deposits into our lives. And some of these deposits are made from a distance. What I mean by this is when I look back over the course of my life, there are some people I've never met who've helped me grow. There are some people that actually have never been alive at the same time as me, but they've helped me grow.
1: And that's, that's an interesting thing. These people you've never met, they're dead, but you refer to that as a relationship. It's just a weird, like, hey, I have a relation because I've got a book here by Charles Spurgeon. I have, this is a relationship. I, I guess you could define it that way. But again, what does this have to do with Ephesians 4? What, what is, it, it's just more kind of a spiritual philosophy you have. All right. But, Okay, so some relationships, they put deposits in your life. They, they, they deposit something in your life. And, and okay, <laughs> let's continue.
0: And they've written books or I've heard about their story and their life was a deposit into my life. And then there are other people that I've heard teach or maybe they are alive and I've read their book and they helped me grow through a deposit. And then there are other people that are making direct deposits. It's like when you have a... You know, direct deposit into your bank account from work. That that direct deposit is constantly helping you grow. It could be somebody that is mentoring you. It's somebody that you're in an accountability relationship with. It could be in a group here at Echo, where there is a leader who's investing in you over the course of time. Again, this is why every week we're we're iterating over and over and over again the significance and importance of groups because we need people in our lives who are directly depositing into us to help us grow. grow.
1: Okay, and, it, and we talked about this in the last and part one of our review, small groups, small groups, small groups. It's the never-ending battle cry of, of large evangelical megachurch types, multi-campus churches, small groups, small groups. I won't go back through my never-ending frustration with some of those concepts, but we, we, we will continue.
0: And if I'm not in a group, if I'm not in relationships with people, I'll be frustrated with my church because I'll be like, well, the church is not helping me grow. And then if I'm not in a group, it's like, well, I'm not doing the thing that the church has to help me grow.
1: This is the constant refrain from big, mega evangelical churches. It's the constant refrain. See, so if you really want to grow, you've got to be a part of a small group. Somehow the growth can't happen from the pulpit, right? It's the constant refrain. If you say, well, you don't go deep and you don't teach doctrine, and you don't teach theology. They're like, well, we don't do that from the pulpit. That's supposed to happen in the small groups, But every small group that I've ever seen for most of these churches, they're not really doing any serious teaching there either. But I just, I hate the idea that you have to, if you really want to grow, you got to be in a small group. Well, so why am I coming to church if the growth takes place in the small group? Why don't I just go to the small group meetings and skip the whole Sunday morning show? I mean, if, if everything really happens... Because they constantly promoted this concept that it's the small group. It's the small group. It's the small group. I mean, if, if I listen to the way that this is constantly promoted and, and shared and all of the sermons I listen to from churches all around the country, it almost comes across like, look, what we're doing here on Sunday morning. Okay. It's nice. You know, it's showy. It's wonderful. It's great. But, but what you really need is the small group. So you just come here to find out about the small group. Once you get plugged into the small group, you don't really need Sunday morning anymore. And I don't understand why it, it isn't it the preaching from the pulpit that is supposed to equip saints so they're no longer tossed to and fro as children with every wind of doctrine. Isn't it the pulpit that's supposed to be doing the equipping, the teaching, the doctrine, the theology, the church history? And I and I always get tired when I hear well, you can't do all of that from the pulpit. Who's who made the rule that you can't? It, I, I get so tired of this that the sermons have to be this shallow kind of candy. It's a snack, but the real stuff has to happen somewhere else. And I'm like, who who made that rule? Who I didn't get that memo because I, I I'm gonna teach for an hour from the pulpit and we're gonna go in-depth doctrine, theology, church history. And 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 maybe the problem is I do it that way, and so therefore we're small, and the churches that are successful are the ones who don't do that on Sunday mornings. Now, there's always exceptions to the rule, but it just seems to be a general philosophy. And so my thing is then why go to church? Just send me to the small group meeting, because that's where I'm going to grow. That's where I'm going to learn. That's where I'm going to get doctrine. That's where I'm going to get theology. So there's no real reason <laughs> to go to church. I. I, I, it seems really counterintuitive intuitive the way they set this up, but okay, let's continue.
0: So we want to help you grow. We want to deposit into you. And this format here on a weekend is awesome. But if you're not in a group, you're not going to grow the way that you can. Amen. Amen.
1: See, hey, what we do here in the weekend is awesome, but you're not really going to grow unless you're in a group. Well, I, we're... Where is that in the new, where is that the New Testament model? Hey, the, the church has been given these people to equip saints for the work of ministry. But I just want you guys to know what we do here on the weekend. It's wonderful. It's great. But you really need to be a part of a small group. I just don't get that concept. I, I just, I really, I really, really, really don't. And I would, I would just like the supposed proof that small groups accomplish everything that they are advertised to accomplish. I've I've known people who go to small groups, I've attended some small groups, and every time it's just like I I if that's in-depth teaching, then I don't <laughs> then I clearly don't know what in-depth teaching is because everything I've ever seen is is, is it basically it's kind of a glorified Sunday school classroom with where everyone sits around in a corner telling you what they think more than actually serious study. It it, it I <sighs> Let's
0: continue. Amen. I like to amen myself every once in a while, just so, I, just so I can feel good. All right. Second one is people who are difficult. And we like to call these people holy sandpaper. Like they are, they are tools, and maybe you, you want to call them a tool, but you have to define if they're going to be a tool from Satan or they're a tool from God. And they can become a tool from God. Every person in your life can be a tool from God, no matter how difficult they are to get you to the destination of becoming more like Jesus. If growth is the goal and becoming like Jesus is the end game for us in our relationships, then difficult people can help us get to that goal. So you can just look at somebody and say, hey, thank you for helping me reach my squad goals. Thank you for your investment in my life through the difficulty that you provide. I wonder if there's somebody in your life that is like this, that you've been looking at the relationship and you've been frustrated because of the difficulty. But if you would reframe it through the lens of growth, it would change the way that you see the relationship. So there are people who are very, very difficult and there are people who are hurtful. Maybe they've said some things to you. Maybe. (laughs) All right.
1: Someone just said, wait. They can become a tool from God if I say so. Yes. All you have to do is like, Hey, this person is really, you know, causing me all kinds of problems, but Hey, you're a tool from God. And all of a sudden they become a tool from God. So I, I don't, I don't even know how this works with sovereignty. I mean, but my, my problem with this is I still, what does any of this have to do with Ephesians four? What does any of this have to do with Ephesians four? So literally, the, the Ephesians 4 text was show. It's camouflage. It's to make you think you're studying the Bible. We are studying the philosophy of relationship as taught by Andy Wood. This is a sermon of the philosophy of Andy Wood in regards to relationships, where somehow he doesn't really get into God's divine providence, God's sovereignty, I, that that someone can either be a tool of Satan or a tool of God, well, wait a minute, if Satan is using the person, God gave Satan the ability to use that person, so would it still be God or i okay, I don't know we we can't ask too many questions, right, because we can only ask deep theological questions during the small group meeting. All right? This is not, we're not listening to the small group meeting, right? The small group is where you get really deep about doctrine and theology. This is their, you know, Sunday sur- service, it's not circus, service, right? I know I'm being very, I'm being very uh, negative, but I get very frustrated because, I mean, like, it, 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 there's a million questions I have here. So, wait a minute. So, because if Satan is using the person and God is allowing Satan to use that person, then isn't Satan and that person Ultimately, a tool of God because God uses everything for His purpose and His glory. Because in the case of Job, right? In the case of Job, who Satan was there, but who God was the one orchestrating everything. So I mean, like, I, I, I just, oh man, this stuff just drives me crazy. I would not be able to survive in these kinds of churches. I would literally just, I would just end up. They, 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 what's wrong with that person? I'd be laying in the fetal position, sucking my thumb, going, mommy, mommy, get me out of here. Get me away from the bad people. Okay. Okay. That's a little bit of hyperbole, but I I just, this would just drive me crazy. I'm like, I got, is it, what does this have to do with Ephesians four? And what are you talking about? Like, are we going to talk about the doctrinal, theological implications of what you're saying? Okay. Man, I got this person in my life who who uh, I think they were a tool of Satan, but you know what? I realized that I was looking at it the wrong way, and now they're a tool of God. Okay, so I, they just got they just got they changed teams all of a sudden, just because you're. Yeah, I don't know how any of this works. I don't know what they know how any of this works. They just it just seems like they have psychological psychology of relationships. And they just need to add some, spir- some spiritual language to it so it sounds Christian. That, 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 that sounds like what, what they're doing. And look, it's okay to say, hey, today we're going to talk about some, some of my philosophies about relationship. And I, and we're just gonna, that's what we're going to talk about. Just say that. But this is supposedly I'm learning something about Ephesians 4 here. I don't have a clue what I'm learning about Ephesians 4.
0: there's somebody that's wounded you from your past and it doesn't excuse the wound to actually let God use that wound to help us grow. God can, God can take every relationship in our life and he can leverage it to bring us to the destination that he has for us. Jesus, he
1: can, or he does. God can, is very different than he does. He can, but the determinant factor of what he can or cannot do is my response. That seems to be the, the philosophy. Hey, God can use this as a tool for your spiritual benefit, but it all depends on how you respond to it. So that's different than God will It's that God can do it, but I'm the one who determines what he can and cannot do. You see, that raises lots of questions about God's divine providence. I mean, this gets back to major theological issues, but you cannot have these theological questions because it's not small group.
0: Use Judas to accomplish the purpose that the Heavenly Father had set out for him. So God can use any relationship in your life. The third one is that people, these are people who are dedicated to us. God intentionally places people in our lives that help us in difficult times that stand with us. And maybe they're not the person that tells you the truth or gives a deposit, but they're just there to support and encourage you. This is why God places children into families. This is why children who are not in families should be adopted and brought into families because there's something about the family infrastructure that helps us grow. The enemy is he is active trying to destroy families in our generation because he knows if he can get children, if he can get families divided, people won't grow the way that God intends for them to grow. So people who.
1: So if a family is divided, you can't grow. Wow. Man, I should have just given up when I was a, when I became a Christian, (laughs) I mean, there was no way I was going to grow spiritually because my family was an ultimate train wreck. It put the uh, dysfunction in dysfunction. I mean, I mean, it was, I mean, it was abusive, insanity, crazy beatings, horrible things that took place. So there was no way for me to grow spiritually. I mean, like, that, that, hey, if you're in a family that's broken, you can't grow spiritually. What? What? Time out. Time out. How can you say that? Yes, if you're in a good family environment spiritually, it may obviously make your spiritual growth helpful, but you can't. I mean, that just, oh. Look, some people can't, <laughs> some people can't just change the family unit they're a part of. Hey, if you're in a bad family unit, I'm sorry. You just can't grow. Oh, oh, I bet you can overcome that if you join the small group of Echo Church. Yeah. Okay. If I, if I join the small group, that will cancel out the negative impact my broken family. I might like, I, I still don't know any of this has to do with Ephesians 4, but I just don't like being told you can't grow spiritually if you're in a broken family because I had significant spiritual growth during that time because, wait a minute, I thought your previous point was that even if you're in a relationship that's very negative and bad, it can help you grow. Well, if you're in a broken family that's divided, can't that be used to help you grow? Now you're saying if you're in a broken family, you can't grow. But I thought you said if you're in a bad relationship, it helps you grow. So can we keep it consistent? Does it help you or does it hinder you? Because if you're in a bad relationship and it helps you grow, the epitome of a bad relationship is when you're in a totally dysfunctional, broken family. Wouldn't that be really help me grow? Wouldn't that really? That's more than sandpaper. That's a hammer. Like, like wouldn't that really help me? Like, I, I, I don't know. Uh Okay. Yes. Plus, you have to tell God He can use it for your better, otherwise Satan will use it. That's true. So I got I got to make sure I tell God, hey God God, hey this relationship right here, hey you can use this one, you can use this one. Okay, you I I I don't even understand anymore what is going on. And remember, this is supposedly Ephesians four, ladies and gentlemen. This is supposedly Ephesians four. And remember, this man is about to become the pastor of one of the most influential churches in the United States of America. And we can't understand why Christians don't have a theological, they're theologically illiterate, biblically illiterate and don't have a biblical worldview. We can't seem to figure I will, we can't we we do all of the surveys and we can't figure this out. And while the conservative churches that may actually have good doctrine and have good preaching, they're running around going the the danger to the church is critical race theory. The danger to the church is liberals. How about you just look at what's going the, No, the danger is inside the church. It's this whatever this is therapeutic deism. Is, is that what I think uh Chris Rosebro may have been the one who who I first heard use that term. It's therapeutic deism, or maybe it was the White Horse Inn. I don't remember. I heard it a long time ago. This is just kind of a a deistic therapy session. Now, I'm not saying some of these principles aren't worth talking about, but you, he's not in any way backing up any of this from a scriptural mindset. He's just, okay, here's God and Jesus, and I'll just throw in Jesus, Satan, God to try to make a point without rather, without doing anything to justify or, or prove the point from an actual biblical point of view.
0: ...who are dedicated... They support, they encourage. Sometimes dedication is boundaries. Sometimes dedication is infrastructure. Sometimes dedication is staying with you when everybody else is leaving you. God will use people like that to help you grow. I love this frame because it can help me look at the different relationships in my life and say, okay, this is a deposit relationship. This is a difficult relationship. This is a relationship that God wants to use to help me. I'm dedicated to them. They're dedicated to me. And if I frame it this way, it can help me over the time become more and more who God's created me to be. Paul takes this then and double clips, clicks on it. And he's going to give us the how of actually what we do to become more and more like Jesus through our relationships. Ephesians chapter four, verse 14, watch how he continues his thought. He says, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching, we will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like truth. Now notice back to what we talked about earlier. There are two images that Paul uses in this particular passage. The first one is the image of a child. And he says that there are some people, they are not childlike, they are childish. And there's a difference. There's a difference between childlike and childish. Jesus said one time, unless you become Like a child, you won't enter into the kingdom of God. This is not what Paul's talking about. Jesus was talking about a childlike faith to trust God, to receive, that children have joy. That's different than childish. Childish is an emotionally immature response to situations where we don't get what we want. And Paul is saying, when you grow, you will no longer be childish and no longer confused, no longer toss back and forth like a ship a ship that is blown around by every wind that comes at them. And we know people like this. It's like the idea of the day person. You know anybody like that? Constantly pursuing a new idea. Oh, here's New Age. Oh, here, here's Buddhism. Oh, here's a different religion. And they're constantly all over the place, not grounded. Paul says you should be grounded in truth. And over time, if you're grounded, you'll grow. Yeah. These two images are really powerful. That okay.
1: How do we get grounded? And how do we grow? All you've given me is that I've got to see relationships and I've got to tell God which part of these relationships need to be a tool for him. No, the the grounding and the growing is the ministry of the church to equip you. And that equipping takes place through the teaching of God's word, because the people that that was given to the church are all, in a sense, teaching offices, apostles, apostles, prophets evangelists pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry it's through the equipping which comes to the teaching of God's word that teaching helps us grow spiritually this is not about growing in our relationships growing spiritually yes I guess then that would have a an impact on our relationships but this is growing and that we're no longer tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine right so this this happens through the preaching of the church. He, he's, it, the text seems to be emphasizing it's through the teaching of God's word that equips you so that you grow and you're not tossed to and every, to and fro with every wind of doctrine. He's almost replaced the preaching of God's word with relationship. Relationship is what do, does this. Not God's word, it's relationship. He's literally replaced God's word with relationship and relationship is now the effectual thing that helps you not be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine and how you will not, uh, you will, you will, uh, leave your immaturity behind. It's not the word of God. It's relationship. This is so very subtle. He's literally replaced the word of God with relationship is the key to growth, not the teaching of God's word. But relationship, I don't know if you've caught this and maybe you, maybe you think I'm wrong and that's okay. You can correct me, but that's what I feel has happened here.
0: Help us understand what does it mean to become the person that God wants me to be? Now, Paul is going to continue and get even more practical to help us understand how we do this and what this looks like. He says, instead, instead, what we will do, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way to become more like Jesus, who is the head of his body, the church. Let me read that line one more time. All minds engaged right here. All hearts engaged. This is important. This is, this is the ultimate formula that God gives to us to grow in community. He says this, instead, We will speak the truth. We're not gonna be immature. We're not gonna be blown around by every wind that comes at us, by every news article that we read, by everything that we see on social media. We're going to be people who are planted. Instead, what we are gonna do is we are gonna speak the truth in love and we will grow as a result of that more and more like Jesus, who's the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work It helps the other part grow. Notice that as we all do our work and we're connected to each other, we're helping each other mature over the course of time so that the whole body is healthy, growing, and full of love so that the whole body is healthy. It's maturing. And there is a kindness about the community. That's what Paul says is the goal is that we would help each other grow. And you know that this is working when there's health, when there's multiplication, when there's growth and there's love. You can tell if a church is healthy based upon the community. You you can walk into a room of people and you can feel if there's love, there's anger, there's selfishness, there's judgment, there are people that are pouring out their lives for one another. And you know, what's interesting about this is oftentimes we, we as a church, if you're new here, you probably never have heard any of this, but we'll, we'll get like a criticism like, Oh, Echo Echo just has so many people who are new to following Jesus and are just immature in their faith. And my rebuttal is always, yes, that's true. You know, if a family is mature, how? It's not just by getting old. You know, if a family is mature, if there are babies that are being born and the sign of maturity is multiplication. And what Paul is saying is that the body, the local church should be multiplying it should be growing in information, wisdom, and knowledge. And there should be people who are at all different places in their journey of faith, spiritually. People who are new to faith and people who are longtime followers of Jesus. And the formula, the way that we do this, and I want you to write this down. God has a formula for growth. This is God's formula. This is how it works. It's number one, truth plus love two plus time, it leads to transformation. It's truth plus love plus time leads to transformation. If you take any one of these ingredients out of the equation, you have very big problems without truth, without love, without time. See, oftentimes we want to grow rapidly. We're like, well, I just, well, I, I want it to happen overnight. And have you ever had this happen where, where you go to the gym and you're like lifting weights and you look in the mirror the next day, you're like, no results. And you, you start saving money and you're like trying to shave off the debt and you look and it's like, no results. It doesn't happen fast enough. And what can happen for us is we can start to make progress in an area, but because it's not quick enough, we stop doing the thing that we need to do to move in the direction that God wants us to go. So there has to be a component of time. Sometimes the best way to know if you're making progress is not to look last week. The best way to know if you're making progress is to look a year or two, five, 10 years ago, to look how far you've come. Somebody today needs to hear that. Like you've come really far. When you look at where you were 20 years ago, you're not the same woman you were. You're not the same man that you were. God is changing you over the course of time. And he's doing it with truth and love. So if we subtract either of these from the equation, there's a big problem. And oftentimes we have a tendency as humans to err one or the other direction. Some of us are more truth. Some of us are more love. And if you take either out, there's problems. Truth without love actually makes a person unkind. Yeah. And I'm more, I'm naturally, I don't know if you could guess this about me. I am more naturally oriented towards truth. It's like, I have had to learn over time that not everything true needs to be said. Because the person who loves truth, but doesn't value love can say things like, I just say it like I see it. And you just want to say things back to them, right? It's like, thank you very much. You know, not every time somebody cuts you off in traffic, do they need a finger? Like probably never do they need a finger, right? Even though you think it just because you think it doesn't mean that you say it. So I've had to learn over time. There are some key questions I should ask myself when I think of something that might be true. I should ask the question, why am I saying this? Like, am I saying this because I I just want to get it off my chest? You ever said that before? I just, I had to get that off my chest. There never should be a motivation for saying it. It's like the question I want to ask is, is this helpful for the other human being on the other side of the table? So if it helps them, I want to say it. But if I'm just saying it for my own benefit, so I feel better then I, I need to think. And there are times where truth needs to be said, but there needs to be a pause between when I think it and when I say it. It's like sometimes you ever do this where the truth people, where you think something and you pull out your phone and immediately you're texting and you're about to hit send and something internally says, mm, mm, mm. don't send it. Or you, you write up an email. Anybody ever written a draft up that you didn't send out of curiosity? It stayed in the outbox and thank God it stayed in the outbox, right? You thank God for people who you, I do this with Stacey. I'm like, read this before I send it. And she's like, mm, 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 mm. no, 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 no. And you, you need some time to, before you send it, you might need to say some things, but you need to, we need to massage how we say it and ask the question, how do I say it in a way that helps them? How do I say it in a way that affirms them? See, truth is not just negative truth. There's positive truth. There are times when, when we need to affirm the other person to say, I love you, I believe in you. God is for you. There are good things ahead. I wanna encourage you. It's coming both the positive and the challenging, challenging truth at the same time. So if I look or you look at your communication and there's a lot of times where you're not kind with the communication, chances are you've not put love into the truth. Now there's another side of the equation and that's love without truth. See, love without truth makes a person unstable. It's like all the time you never know what you're going to get or what direction they're going to take. And there are a lot of times where we have gotten confused. Listen, here is a part of the problem for us right now. We don't know what truth is anymore. And we have a very confused last week. I talked about this in my message. I want to encourage you. If you weren't here, go back and listen to it. I said, the biggest problem facing the message of Jesus or the church today is not the culture. The biggest problem is confused Christians. And one of the places where we are most confused is in our definition of truth. So we live in a culture where there is a, there is no longer absolute truth, like in our minds, and our culture. It's like, well, your truth is your truth, and my truth is my truth. But I want to encourage you today, there is one truth, and God holds that truth. Even though I may not agree with God's truth, every time I disagree with God, I've learned God's right. Every time I have a different opinion than his truth, his truth is the one in my experience, that has always won out. So I want to learn over time, what is God's truth? What does God say about my situation? What does God say about my relationships? I am under authority. If I'm in relationship with Jesus, I'm not under my own authority. I'm ultimately under his authority. And my authority that he's given to me has been commissioned, but I ultimately submit to Jesus. He's the one that is in charge. And his word, the scripture this book right here is useful. It is useful to guide and direct. It is the authoritative word of God. So for those who follow Jesus, we are under submission. So many times we read the Bible and we're like, oh, I'm the Bible. I'm judging what the Bible says about my life. And so I look at the Bible through the lens of, well, I'm, I know I live in the 21st century. I'm, I'm mature. I've lived through all these generations and I've got this new perspective on the Bible. But in reality, I'm under this. So when I look at it, it's the one that tells me whether or not I'm right, not me telling it whether or not it's right. Second uh, Timothy chapter three, verse 16. You can clap for that. You can clap. Now he's making some interesting points
1: and some of these may be even very valid and strong points, but it's this weird, like uh, he, he jumps back in and reads a couple of the words in Ephesians to give you this impression that you're this is what drives me crazy. It's giving the impression that we're hey we're actually studying Ephesians four. Hey, we read a little bit of it, then I just talked about everything else other than Ephesians four. Then I came back to Ephesians 4, tried to then tie it into this discussion about truth and love and it does speak of truth and love. it does by speaking but speaking the truth and love. But he spent most of this sermon is about relationships, relationships. So the equipping happens through the teaching of God's word. That's how we're not, we're, we're not tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine because we are learning right doctrine. Where do we learn that right doctrine? Doctrine? From the ministry of the church, from the preaching and teaching of the church. He subtly ignored that aspect of it, turned it to relationships, and then basically said within these relationships, if we're going to grow, we need truth, we need love, and we need time. Okay, but he brought it back to the relationship concept. Now, you could talk about that as the church preaches the word of God to equip people, they have to speak truth, but there also has to be an element of love. You could talk about that from that perspective, but he he just grabs parts of it, and it it still seems that the main emphasis he's placed is that this all happens in relationship, not through the preaching and teaching of God's word from the pulpit, which is, and so therefore, In his mind, you have to be in a position where you have relationship. So it's not the preaching of the church that does this. It's small groups where you develop the relationships, and it's because of those relationships that, therefore, you become no no longer children tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. So the solution is small groups where you develop relationships, so, therefore, you grow, and you're not tossed to and fro without every wind of doctrine. He He completely removes it, really, from the element of the church and the preaching and teaching of the church. It is subtle, but it's a very important theological distinction. Let's see, maybe he's going to bring this back to the teaching of the church, but he has committed the whole whole thing here is about relationships. In fact, the name of this message is Reframe Your Relationships. This is about relationship, not about the ministry of the church.
0: For that, my wife said amen, and she was, she's my amen corner. Paul says, all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now here, here's a challenge that we face. It is not only confused in our culture, what truth is, but it is increasingly hard to disagree with other human beings. And last week I said, a lot of this plays in because of cancel culture. I can cancel you if I don't agree with you. And did you know that when I don't have truth or love, go back to the equation, the absence of truth and love makes me both unkind and unstable. Now I know you don't want to be unkind and unstable. You want to be planted. You want to be strong. You want to be courageous. You want to be firm in your convictions And this happens through truth and love. And what the enemy is doing is he is removing our ability to have difficult conversations and to speak truth in our generation. So you and I have a challenge and an opportunity at the same time. It's to learn to speak truth, to be planted in truth, but to say it in a way that comes from a heart of love. And if I don't understand truth, I can't speak truth. But if I don't know the love of God, which we're gonna talk about next week, if I haven't encountered the depth of God's love for me, I can't convey love when I speak truth. So many people, they, they've, they know this book, but they speak it arrogantly. They speak it from a heart of pride and they're not doing it from a place of love. We need both in our lives. We need truth and love and we need to walk in those. And when we do, we can help each other grow. It's kind of like, One of the biggest ways that we can know whether or not we are maturing is based upon how we respond to truth when truth comes at us. And maybe for some of us, it's like, I remember there have been so many times where somebody says something hard to me, and my natural reaction what happens to you when somebody corrects you? What do you naturally want to do back to them? You'd be like, I'm right, you're wrong. I've got all this other information you don't know about, and I have a bunch of people I need to blame for what I've done. You ever felt like that before? When you're like, it doesn't go the way I thought it should. I'm wrong. You tell me I'm wrong. I've got 15 people in my mind who are the reason why I'm wrong. Rather than just standing there and realizing there may be some things in my life that need to change. There may be some areas of my life that God wants to grow me. He wants to grow you. And you, you can know, you know what the, the Bible teaches us about people who, when they're corrected, reject it and make you pay. The Bible calls that a fool. The Bible says like a fool, when you, when you give them direction or correction, you, you know what they do? They harm you. They make you pay for that. But when somebody's wise, what they do when they're corrected Every wise person has areas of their life that they need to grow. When they're wise, they can be redirected. They can be corrected and put back on a better path. Every one of us has moments in our life where we are heading towards a cliff. And I want to know. I want to know before I drive off of a cliff that I'm about to do something stupid. Anybody else here? So there is there's language in our culture, I want, you to, I want you to hear these phrases, some of these phrases that we use, like you do you, you do you, man. But what if you do you is about to destroy your life? What if you do you means you having an affair? What if you doing you means that you keep looking at pornography for years and staying in bondage? I don't want you to do you if it's gonna ruin your life. I want you to be you. God made you to be you, but I don't want you to do you if it's gonna kill your life. We say things and we don't even know what that means. What does you do you mean? It's dumb. It's just stupid. I'm not saying people who say you do you is stupid, but the phrase is stupid. Amen. It's okay. It's okay if you don't agree with me, uh, um, but I'll amen myself. Amen. There's, there's, there's another one too that we say love is love. Well, what does that mean? Like, how do we define Love. If there's no definition of love, it's a circular, you know, you understand logically, it's like love is love is love is love is love. What does that mean? Well, actually, Jesus said, this is how you, this is love that Jesus, the son of God would die for our sins, that he would conquer the great. This is love. Not that we, not that we first love God, but that God demonstrates his love for us in us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So if that's your definition, love is love. It's Jesus with his arms stretched out on a cross. That's, that's a powerful definition right there. So the more that I understand who God is and what God says about my life, the more I can be planted and I can be a source of life to those around me. I wanna be a source of truth and love in my relationships. And I know you do too. So the question then becomes, How do I deal with the parts of me that are not the way that God wants them to be? How do I learn to say it in a way that builds other people up? And how do I learn to have difficult conversations with people in my life that sometimes things need to be said? I have to put this frame of growth around every relationship that I have and let God use the relationship to help me and help you become more and more like Jesus. So I wanna give you one question and I wanna ask you to reflect on this question This week, take it back, write it down in a journal. The question is, what one interaction from the last week was God using or does God want to use to try to help you grow? And God wants to take whatever it is that you've been through. Maybe it's somebody that mistreated you and you didn't like the way that you were treated. Maybe it's a moment where you need to have a difficult conversation and say some things that need to be said. Maybe it's God helping you learn how to say it in a way that's loving. Maybe it's you learning how to not have a knee-jerk reaction every time somebody gives you feedback, but there's something that God wants to do in your life through a relationship that he's placed right there next to you to help you grow. God's first primary goal is that we would grow together. I want to invite you to close your eyes and pray with me for just a moment.
1: (sighs) Okay. I let a lot of that play out without interrupting it because I was... I'm I'm very I'm very frustrated here and and this this really summarizes a lot of my frustration with the big evangelical Christian complex all right let me try to explain this and it's going to sound like it, it's going to sound like petty criticism but hopefully you'll hear what I'm trying to say there's a lot of people who go to these big kind of evangelical churches right And there's enough there where he threw in Jesus. He talked about Jesus dying, Jesus love. He he threw in a lot of spiritual concepts, right? So there, people were clapping. It sounds spiritual. It sounds there's some and some of the principles were actually okay. You you, now I believe that those principles. well, okay. It, put it this way: there's there's enough there that sounds okay that it gives you the perception. Hey, we studied the Bible. We studied Ephesians four. We we grew spiritually. The problem is you didn't. He didn't even come close to expounding Ephesians four. And in a roundabout way, Ephesians four is like: here's what the church is. Here's what's been given to the church. Here's what the church is supposed to do. And he, and he replaced what the church is supposed to do through the preaching of God's word. So really what God's word is supposed to do, the church is supposed to take God's word and preach it so that you grow and you're no longer tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine and that Christians are equipped to do the work of ministry. He he kind of took a passage about what the church is supposed to be about, replace God's word and replace the church with you as an individual, and that this is supposed to take place in relationships. That is subtle, but it really destroys the concept of the passage. So no matter how spiritual something sounds, if it really replaces the key element of the passage, that's not a good thing. That's subversive. That is bad. Ephesians 4 is saying that God gave these offices to the church for the proclamation of the word so that Christians will grow and be equipped to do the work of ministry, no longer children tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. How does that happen through the word of God? He was like, hey, it's not so much the word of God. Now he he kind of came back and said, it is the word of God. He just said, it's truth, but it's truth and love, but it now happens in groups. It happens in relationships. Not He kind of... Took to what the passage was about and try to use it for his idea of relationships. Now, what's interesting is I don't really know the thesis of the sermon. Now, I've, I've been guilty of this where I have a certain, pers- I have a certain thesis in mind. And by the time the sermon is over, I end up realizing I left the thesis of the sermon. So all pastors, I, I'm not being super critical there, but what's, what's the thesis of the sermon? relationships 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 I mean it's called reframe your relationships so it sounds like he, that you need relationships to grow but if you're going to grow in those relationships you got to think about the relationships the right way and you got to basically tell god that he needs to use this relationship to help you grow and it it's i it's just a, a bizarre thing. But it's, it's, it's so frustrating because there are some spiritual points there. Like, if you took some of those points he wrote down, you're like, okay, let's take that point. Now let's go work on finding scripture that would support the concept. Maybe, maybe we could get somewhere. But he didn't do that. He just took like, well, Ephesians 4. I mean, it's so bizarre. So in Ephesians 4, well, it talks about speaking the truth in love. Let us grow in every way uh, into him who is the head. So it does talk about speaking the truth in love. Okay, now that's some interesting concepts about here's what happens if you just speak truth and you don't have love. And here's what happens if you speak love without truth. That's, that, that is worth exploring. But he, he so made that the emphasis that he, again, removed it from the context of Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4 is written to, in fact, if we go back to Ephesians 1, um, a uh, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by God's will, to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus. He's writing to the church at Ephesus. And so, then, if you go to Ephesians 4, if you go to Ephesians 4, all right, um, And then we immediately have the ascension of Christ, and then we know that he gave some to apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors, and teachers. That is to the church. And he gave these to the church, equipping the saints for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ until we all reach the unity of faith and the knowledge and the Son growing into maturity, stature measured in Christ's fullness, that we will no longer be little children tossed by waves and blown around by every wind of teaching and human cunning and cleverness and the techniques of deceit. So uh, it he the, the, the idea is that he almost basically said the church doesn't do it, small groups do it, because his emphasis here is on relationships. So relationships is the key to growing and no longer being a a child tossed to and fro with the wind of doctrine. And my argument is, no, it's the preaching of God's word that accomplishes that in the church. So... uh, See, th- this is one of the things you, there, there's some things there you can't say, well, that's just like, this is what sometimes bothers me about people who go to these big kind of evangelical churches. It's like, on one hand, you can't always just say that was heretical. Now, sometimes you can and that's always good because at least it's easy to identify. But in other cases, you're like, it's not exactly what was said was the problem. It's what wasn't said. It's how the text wasn't handled. It's how the text was manipulated and in this particular case the subtle thing is it's the it's the teaching and the church which is he replaced with relationships there's the first sermon that we have reviewed by what will become the pastor of saddleback church the most influential church one of the most influential churches in the united states that's what's going to go there I, you're not going to get in-depth teaching. You're not going to get exposition of Scripture. But did you get that? I mean, you know, I, I don't know. Would, would how much preaching of Rick Warren, Warren did you hear? Is did Rick was Rick Warren more? I, I don't know. Is this very similar to Rick Warren? You could draw your own comparisons there. That one was very, fr- that's, that's always the fun part of these sermon reviews, and it's always the frustrating part. Because remember, I don't review them first, because then this would be a performance. So I'm re- I'm reacting in real time, and I'm just trying to process a lot of it. And there's so much there that it raises serious theological issues, like the whole providence of God, how God uses this, the whole apostle thing. He just, I don't even know what in the world that was. And then what, what, what's the actual... What What is actually going on in Ephesians 4, say, 7 through 16? Like, we really need to break that. And it, and it wasn't about breaking the passage down. And I don't even really, I, I guess his thesis was relationships is how you grow. Relationships is how you grow. You don't need the church, you need relationships. Now you need the echo church small groups because there is where you develop relationships. Very interesting. We will review a couple of more sermons between now and September because we his wife is a teaching pastor. So we're gonna have to listen to her review, uh, review a sermon there just because that's what's coming. And then we'll get into a whole discussion about well, obviously, I, I believe biblically that, you know, you shouldn't have a woman, a women's teaching pastor, but that's a whole different subject we'll have to get into. But uh, we're going to get an idea where Saddleback is headed, and uh, then we'll see. But for now, I'm going to take a break. We'll probably, I'll probably be back here in a little bit. And we'll try to do something else this evening and uh, see if we can, if we can accomplish something before the day is over. But that one was a little, that one was a little frustrating. Yeah, there you go. I, there's nothing else I can say. You, I, I've just let you hear a, a, a sample from the past that gives you an idea where Saddleback is headed in the future. And then that could mean that kind of preaching and teaching, which there's nothing uncommon about that in the evangelical world. But that's where the church is headed. And we'll see what that means for the influence of evangelical Christianity moving forward. All right. I'll stop there. Thanks for listening. God bless.